Inverse Genius episode 26, Time and Time Again. In this episode, Eric and Don take a look at time travel in various media, and we kind of discuss the implications that it brings. Hey, did you know you can go over to podpledge.com and search for Inverse Genius and see our Podpledge page? All that money goes to help support the ongoing podcasting costs, and we truly appreciate it. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inverse Genius. I'm Eric Dewey, your host, and with me is the co-host with the mo-host, Mr. Donald Dennis. (laughs) Oh, well, maybe we can go back in time and fix that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is the beauty of editing podcasts, is if something doesn't go right, we can go back in time and fix it, and you would be none the wiser. And uh, and quite honestly, they'd be surprised uh, that we do that, having listened to our other shows. Yeah, that is a valid point. <laughs> um, not to uh, you know cast aspersions on your mad editing skills, uh, because hey, most of this would never happen if it weren't for Eric sitting behind the keyboard getting things put out. You know, uh, we were talking my son or something about uh, there was an article talking about using visualization of words to help deaf people read. Um, kind of like sine waves and things like that. And, and my son couldn't conceive of how that could work. And I said, oh, I can tell you exactly what the word uh looks like in sine wave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a language, I guess, that you could sort of learn. It's like lip reading, I would imagine. Ma- yeah, imagine people who have made this their job and edit sound for five, six hours a day. I'm, they probably don't even have to listen to it. They can go, oh, here he coughed, there he did that. This guy was scratching his chin. Let's slap him for it. You know, whatever it is. Exactly. But as interesting as that is, it has nothing to do with our topic for today. <laughs> well, it is about spending time. So I'm going to count it. I'm going to get half credit. I'm going to give myself I like half it. credit. So we have a topic, though. I think that that's a welcome change. Well, what's our topic? <laughs> it is all about time travel. Woohoo! Yay, time travel. So for whatever reason, I have read books and watched TV shows recently all about time travel, or Mm. those were the major plots. And it just made me kind of think, and you and I were talking about just so much, uh, there's so many issues with time travel as far as themes and and how it can be used and what the implications of time travel are. And I thought it would make a very interesting inverse genius with the with the full expectation that the listener at some point will be yelling at their radio about how we got something wrong or missed something and giving you an excellent opportunity to uh, send us a note and talk about it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, what, what I find amazing is that it is such a popular geek trope, right? That, uh, it's done so poorly. So often. That is a great point. You know, in my high school years, we had to write a research paper, and I couldn't come up with a topic. And so my uh, teacher suggested, you know, pick something like time travel as a you know recurring theme in in science fiction. So I did a whole bunch of research on time travel. And yeah, you're right. I mean, arguably, the first time travel story that I really know about is uh, you know the time machine, H.G. Wells. So that's eighteen hundreds. Um, and so we're talking. You know, 150, 200 years of, of writing, and sometimes you get it right, but a lot of times you get it wrong. And Right. Yeah. And it, I think it's always easier to get it right when you shoot yourself forward in time or you bring something forward in time, because then you're not dealing with all the chances at paradox or things changing that 
should affect when people get back to the modern world, right? Right. And I think that's a big a big crux on time travel is the concept of what do you do about a paradox? And so what is a paradox, Mr. Dennis? Would you like me to take it? Um, well, I was just going to say it's when uh, things get all tangled up and don't work right. But uh, you've probably got a better so- solution for this. Well, that does, that does sound right. A paradox is you have now changed time in such a way that a future event cannot occur. The classic example, of course, is you inadvertently um, kill your own grandfather or prevent your grandfather from meeting your grandmother. Therefore, you don't exist anymore. So how could you go back in time and prevent such a thing? Right. Yeah. What, one of, and I know that th- this isn't a gaming podcast, uh, but, but one of the big scenarios that I ran a campaign was uh, the Guild of Temporal Adventurers, where you know, I, I cribbed a lot from Michael Moorcock, I have to be honest. <laughs> uh, and I went through and I mapped out by drawing, because, you know, I, I like to start at the drawing board, quite literally, saying, what, what, how would I represent all of these various elements of time and time travel? You know, so you've got, you know, the recurring loop where nothing happens until the loop gets resolved and then the world continues on past that. Um, you create branching realities. Um, you just change things for your reality, and there's no such thing as alternate reality. I mean, there are so many ways that you can compile and recompile time travel that it's sort of tough to define. Right, and I think that is the crux. If you are creating some sort of entertainment media and you're going to be using time travel to do it, then you need to sit down and seriously figure out what it is that you want to do. Because if you just throw time travel into a story, I'm going to pick Harry Potter as an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, The consequences of just throwing time travel in a story are amazing. I mean, it'll just destroy any kind of story you have at that point. Because you watch Harry Potter and what is it, the third or fourth movie, you know, Hermione has a time machine so she can go back in time to attend more than one class at the same time. Which, of course, creates a paradox in and of itself that there are two Hermiones running around. Um, But eventually they're able to use that to, you know, solve the major issue of that particular uh, episode or that particular story. Uh, And then as soon as that's out, there's someone in the back of the movie audience or the, you know, finishing the book saying, "Um, why don't you just go back in time and kill Voldemort and eventually save all of this? (laughs) Right. And, And the way the Harry Potter time travel worked... They could have, right? So, but of course, that's not what the story is. So what I'm saying is kind of throwing that stuff in without giving it full thought of the repercussions really can mess up your story. Right. Okay. First of all, I don't think having two of you around is a paradox. No, but it it is, it is, it is temporally uncomfortable and and, (laughs) and might stretch the britches of time, right? Right. But... I don't feel that it's actually a paradox. So we gotta, we've got to restrict our language here just a little bit. You are correct. And, and our listeners will say, hey, Donald, quit being a pedant and let Eric get on with the point. So I also think that, you know, when you're dealing with children's books, everything else is loosey-goosey. And quite honestly, the Harry Potter books are so well written in some ways and so horribly written in others. Yeah, that I can agree with you. That time travel... Well, easy. You could just say, well, you can't do, you can't go back in time when you've gone back in time. Because I don't think that she ever spun it and spun it back, right? There was always that limit on that hour. 
right. something. There, yes. There's a funny video about Snape taking it and basically spinning it thousands and thousands of times so that he can get back to, to right at the perfect moment, kill Voldemort as a child, and then pop back in time and save the world. <laughs> yes, which, of course, non-canon. But that's the, one of the cool things about time travel or alternate realities, because those often go hand in hand, but this is not alternate reality talk, um, is that you can is that you can spin up anything that you want. It's certainly, it's the Play-Doh of, of troping, right? <laughs> right. You can make it to whatever you want. Um, I don't know. So, but Potterwise, she had this device. She spun it. There were two of her for a brief period, uh, but I don't think there were ever three of her at a time. I, I don't remember exactly, but probably not. And they didn't typically directly interact either. Yeah, they which, were in different classes and stuff. Right, or watching the other, you know, doing something, which is something that happens a lot in time travel when you encounter yourself. You don't, sometimes you do, it depends on the story, but a lot of times you watch yourself do stuff. And I think that's more the audience being mm-hmm. able to watch, oh, now I get it kind of stuff. There's a lot of that in time travel where you're do, you intentionally obfuscate things. Um, so that the audience can then see later on the the climax or the reveal that what the time travel does. And I will say, uh, there is an author that does this really well, Connie Willis. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her at all. Unfamiliar. But, okay, so there's two. Uh, she she does a lot of time travel stuff. One of them is to is kind of the All Clear series, which is a two book series about these time travelers who have to go back to World War II to kind of keep things going and keep things in line so that it runs properly. Uh, and then another one is to say nothing of the dog. And the thing that was brilliant about to say nothing of the dog is that there are these people who are in this time bureau. And if you travel in time a lot, you really get confused. And so you need to sort of spend a little bit of time doing nothing, just kind of hanging out so that you sort of get to understand when you are and what's going on and those kinds of things. And so the book starts with the main character suffering from that. So as the main character gets more clear on what's going on around you, the the reader gets more clear as well. And I thought that was a real neat kind of mechanic so that, you know, suddenly the reader, you know, the reader and the protagonist are equally dumb at the same time. I think I'm always equally dumb. But uh, <laughs> yes, well, let's let's get back to watching to watching yourself. I think that one of the the big examples of this, at least in in movies, has got to be what Back to the Future Two. Yeah, well, the whole Back to the Future series. Yeah, in fact, at the end of the first one, that really blew my mind because he comes back a few minutes early. Marty does and sees Marty taking off, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, then there's that Marty who's then later going to have the same adventures and come back a few minutes early to see another Marty taking off, right? And no. in my mind, that creates an infinite loop of, of timelines. <laughs> okay. Um, I had never considered it that way. That's like saying that... Yeah. Each one having their own existence, and conceptually, each one having a slightly different experience, which then would make different time uh, happen. And so you have, the question is, were there always these infinite realities with all these different minute changes, right, so or if the do second, they only exist? <laughs> if the second Marty caused a change to make the first Marty see or experience something different, then yes, you could say 
that the that the next Marty could come back and see the previous Marty has a substantially is a is a loop, right? It's a second loop. Uh-huh. But if uh, the first one doesn't is not interacted with and is not influenced in any way, shape, or form, then it's not a different Clo- Marty. Gotcha. It's closing the loop essentially. Right. It's it's in and we'll we'll come back to Back to the Future, but it becomes Bill and Ted, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're like, oh, remember to I forget what they did, like drop something on a bad they drop guy, drop a bucket like, on their dad, or yeah, put the keys over it. here. And so right. that no, that's okay. So that's one of the interesting things is you have to assume that if they do a remember to do the thing, right? Which is if you were playing a role playing game or something, you'd be like, I'm spending a, a fate point to have this have happened, right, or whatever. That in this reality, uh, you have to assume that it, they would eventually get access to a time machine again. Otherwise, it's broken. It's perfectly wonderful if it's all consistent within the reality. It's like, oh, I'm hosed right now, and maybe I'd be grounded for a few months, but eventually I would get to the time machine, and I would be able to do this. And you can assume that there's a couple of loops that happen there that you don't get to see, where eventually they get to the time machine they drop the bucket, they fix it, and they have saved themselves a boatload of time and are able to save the universe. <laughs> so, if, think about this: if you were if you were in that situation, right, you'd have to keep a list of all the things and when you needed to do them before you died in order for the time not to collapse. Right? That's what Google Keep is for, right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the oh, at some point, me or I have this list that's going to go on, and if somebody doesn't eventually do this for me. The, yeah, the universe as we know it is going to end. Because it could, in theory, be the last person in the universe to say, well, I'm going to uh, you know, check off these, this to-do list before we close off the, you know, shut the door. Oh, right, right, before the, before the sun goes out. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and, make it, and make it all work. So, but I think that's interesting is that if, if there's no way that if something failed, they could ever have access to a time machine again, then that throws up a flag of disbelief. That's like... Slo- sloppy, lazy writing. But if it's right. like, oh, we could eventually have done this, then it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. And if you were doing a com- comic one, like another Bill and Ted, it might be fun to one or two times show them, go through the, here's what happened until they got it right. Yes. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, we did this. No, we're making up. We're catching up. In fact, you could do a whole season of a television show on the all the stuff in the first episode that came across so... Oh, smoothly. Perfect. Yeah. It's like, this looks, <laughs> makes us look amazing. And then it shows them scrambling like mad for the next three or four episodes to get everything into place. And then you see that first episode again from a different point of view. Yeah. Which, which kind of, and I don't want to leave your back to the future talk, but oh, you can, it kind of, we can jump around the time stream however we want. It's our show. That's true. That's true. We can even copy and paste and move it around. <laughs> hey. Um, so so think about this, though. One other question in time travel is, if I change the past, does it change the future, or is what I've done in the past locked in? So, for instance, uh, you know, oh, I go back in time to drop the bucket, but I miss with the bucket. Can then I go back in time and try again? Or has that bucket miss happened, so now I need to do something else later or earlier in the time, but I can't do anything in that moment of time? Okay, so you see what I'm saying? That that all depends on. Ooh, okay, we're gonna get religious. If you believe in predestination, well, predestination is a huge issue in time travel. Yes, 
but I mean, on a on a on a religious on a, religious dogmatic point of view, then right. blah blah blah. But th- it's that kind of fight you're going to have in time travel, and that's where Doctor Who always gets out into the weeds, right? Like, oh oh my gosh, yes. Like, I can't change this fixed point in time. All right, it's like oh, all right. They've now waved their hands and said we're putting up an imaginary wall here because we can't stop Vesuvius from blowing up. And yet, mm-hmm. maybe we stopped that star from exploding two weeks ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> for some reason, yeah, for some reason, Pompeii is important. Or a, a great classic example is World War II. You know, you can't kill Hitler because it's what? Somebody mm-hmm. worse comes into play or it's a fixed point in time or, yeah, yeah, uh, that whole, that whole, uh, or, and this is, this is where we get mildly academic. You have the Novikov self-consistency principle, <laughs> which is Hitler couldn't have been killed as a baby because he wasn't killed as a baby. Right. With the, similarly, time travel in reality cannot exist because we haven't encountered it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so that's an interesting thought is that, that everything is more or less going to turn out as it has Um as it has been, you know, recorded and publicized. And, and you could even play with it and say, you know, when you're writing your book, saying enough people believe that this is what happened, that we can't change that just because there's enough there's enough power and belief, right? right? I keep wanting to use game terms because uh, role-playing games are such a fertile ground for time travel to also be done poorly. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> or well. Yeah, but or well. Yes. That, that it's... It's interesting to say, where can you say that something can be changed? It's like, my guy can wander back in time, but it doesn't matter what he does. He can kill all the butterflies he wants. He's not going to stop or create any more storms. He's, you know, he's not actually going right. to be able to wipe out all the carrier pigeons 2,000 years earlier, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, well, so so here, all of this sort of initial discussion led me to writing the award-winning short story, 1985. (laughs) Um, The idea, the concept was, you're just you, and suddenly you have a time machine drop in your hand with enough juice to jump once and come back. What do you do? Okay, so it's just like Deadpool 2. Um, For most of Deadpool 2, yes. Well, yes, (laughs) except for the part where it's not like Deadpool 2. Right, 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 right. Right. It's just like but what yeah. Cable believes Dead, Deadpool 2 is about. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. So you're saying you have one trip there and back again, a mm-hmm. round trip ticket to one place. Yep. And then one time. Your, where do you go from so, there? So what do you do? And, and and this isn't, you know, in Cable's case, he's got a pretty straightforward play. I want to not have my family die. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is essentially Eric Dewey. What does Eric Dewey do? Or what does Donald Dennis do? And uh, do I get to do research first, or is it a hey, Donald, do, do this now? No, yeah, you can do research if you wanted. <laughs> All righty then. Um, so ultimately, in the short story, what the character does is goes back in time. He knows some traumatic event is going to happen. There's nothing he can do to stop it, right? Like well, it's not like anyone's going to read this story. So his dad's going to have a heart attack, right? And there's no way he can stop this, but. Uh, that same day, he had left his ball mitt on the floor, and the dog had chewed it up. And it was, you know, he got yelled at for that, and then his dad has the heart attack. It doesn't cause it, but it happens. And mm-hmm. so, in the story, all he does, basically, is go back in time, breaks into his house, picks up his ball mitt, so that one, you know, the compounding 
guilt isn't there anymore and then teleports back um and so i thought you know that's kind of neat because it's like if i could go back in time i don't know that there's one you know my life has been blessed to the point where there's like one moment i wish i would have done something different you know there's little things but nothing earth shattering so you know what would i do (laughs) yeah i mean the temptation would always be for me to go back and just pummel some advice into my yes head (laughs) but you know, if you have the, oh, two of you can't exist in the same place trope, that's that's the protection there, right? Is to keep that from happening. Right. Hmm. So anyway, it was it was an interesting sort of thought process and, you know, ended up writing the story. And, and so I was, uh, I don't know, I found it kind of fun. The idea that, you know, in movies and in books and stuff, the, the time travel is usually, you know, oh, we got to prevent the rise of the Terminators, you know, of Cyberdyne or whoever. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in real life, you know, what do you do? I'm certainly not going to travel back to World War II. I might get killed, right? right I don't yeah, know what I'm going to do back then. That's, <laughs> World War II is not my, my optimal place to survive there. That's- <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, so and, and I had recently just finished reading a book, um, and called Time Travelers Never Die. And in it, this guy's dad inv- invents a time traveling machine and then disappears. And so the guy tries to find his dad. And it's modern day. And turns out, oh, his dad's hanging out with Galileo. And there's a time machine broken. He's been there for years and he doesn't want to go home. And so then this guy and his buddy are jumping around time. Ooh, they're both historians. Hey, let's go, you know, visit Winston Churchill. Let's go visit George Washington, you know. And so they, they do all this stuff. They, go, they keep going back to the library in Alexandria and making copies of stuff and bringing it forward. And uh, overall, it was interesting. Uh, it was very kind of light and, hey, you know, let's go back to Renaissance Italy and no one's really going to question anything about us with our time-traveling devices. But um, the, 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 the crux was, at the beginning of the book, this guy's, the time-traveler has a funeral. And then the guy finishes the funeral, you know, he comes home as the friend of the time-traveler, and then the time-traveler shows up and says, hey, you know, blah, 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 because he had jumped to the future to talk to him about something. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that, conceptually, time-travelers would never die because they could always jump to the future to tell somebody something, even if, in their lifetime, they're dead. <laughs> It hurts your brain if you think too much. I think you lost me there, but yes, it's a if 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 you have a couple of time travels working together, then you could eventually say no, no, don't don't open that door. Right, like maybe it's not worth killing Hitler today because you won't make it and he will, you know, (laughs) or what have you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like wait till tomorrow. It's like that's where fortune telling comes from, right? Like, well, yeah, yeah. Or, and of course, that's another trope of time travel is getting that message from the future that's vague enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if I am going to meet my past self, I am writing down explicit, you know, here's a 15 page word printed document. <laughs> Learn this, right? <laughs> the problem is, is we know how well I do with homework. So <laughs> I need three note cards, uh, you know, in bullet points. That's right. <laughs> It's like you could write yourself a novel. You'd probably learn it all. Um, I just need the highlight reel. And that's and that's the trope of the deja vu uh, or the predict, you know prediction communication from the future stuff is that it really only becomes relevant ultimately after it's relevant, right? <laughs> right. So what what I find interesting is you know with all the different kinds of time travel that I like 
sort of the one-way trip stuff, right? Uh-huh. It's like uh, one of the series that I... Okay, so a long time ago, Ken Height said, here, read Castaways in Time. It's a Robert Adams book, and you know he'd done other science fiction and fantasy stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. And so I read it, and it, I think it's so long ago, if I remember, it had a bunch of uh, uh, rednecks running around in a pickup truck blowing up people who needed to be blown up. It, it was really, I mean, all the characters, I, I liked it enough, and I was like, oh, hey, there's another one. He's like, no, don't read anymore. I, <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I suggested that book because it was a one thing. I didn't think there was going to be any more, and, and don't do time travel series, right? <laughs> um, like, oh, Okay, so I may or may not have read more in the, in the Castaways in Time series. But then 1632 came out uh, by Eric Flint, and it jumps people from, I don't know, I guess the series has been going on for over a decade now. <coughs> um, and it picks a town in West Virginia, Grantville, and moves it back to um, 1632, obviously, because that's the name of the book. Uh, where there's basically war all over Europe. It puts them in Germany. And it's how is this coal mining town going to survive and flourish and change the face of Europe? And so there's a lot of, hey, USA is great in it, right? Because it's got that perspective. And you would expect it from sort of the salt of the earth type of, you know, hardworking union folks from the town. And uh, fortunately, they had just had a new high school, state-of-the-art high school built at that point, which is nothing like a state-of-the-art high school now, even <laughs> 15, late, 15 years later. But um, it sort of it chronicles these people's impact on history. Like, what? how can a group of a few thousand people change the world? And so it's sort of a metaphor of, hey, if you want to make the world work, what can you sort of do to, to help that happen? And now it's not just Eric writing the books and he has a bunch of other folks who are writing it. So they have, here's the Russian books or here's the Italian and church related books. And then here's the, Oh, they're going to America uh, kind of things. And so there's a whole bunch of different threads. And now it's, it's a huge ponderous thing of which I try to read most of showing once again, that I never have the great wisdom to heed Kenneth Heights advice. <laughs> But, but I like it because it's all, here's what's happening back in time. But it also shows that just because we're smart doesn't mean that another culture, and in this case, a technologically less advanced culture, is stupid, right? Right. There's a difference between stupidity and ignorance. Right. And so they're dealing with political schemes. They're dealing with the, oh, you can do that. Well, now we can figure out how to do that. Because uh, one of the interesting things is we have radio, right? And so we hid the radio technology by always building a giant tower, right? Making it look like radio technology required <laughs> a giant stone <laughs> tower just so that they couldn't figure out that we also had portable radios, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that kind of stuff. Because they realized pretty soon that, hey, these folks are spreading, you know, freedom and America and, and all that and democracy across, you know, the 1600s that, that, that the lords and nobility are not going to like that so there's lots of lots of interesting points but anyway so i recommend it obviously because i read far too many of the books not all the <laughs> books are created equal though because they have different authors right that, that reminds me a little bit of this book i read called first 15 lives of henry august Ooh, that sounds good 
And so the idea is there's this guy, Henry August, and he's born and he lives and he dies. And when he dies, he ends up going back in time and getting born again. And he's essentially in a loop. And he discovers that there's a lots of people that are like this that basically live again. And then once he starts to become conscious, you know, two, three, four years old, he remembers everything that happened in his previous life. So it's sort of like all and, you need is die or the that Tom Cruise movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. the Yeah, that one. With yeah, all the- it's a lot... And so the the crux of this one is there's a bad guy that has this ability and he's slowly uh, increasing technology in a certain place. I think it was Russia. Yeah, it was Russia. Uh, Building it up so that he could do whatever his big bad guy plan was. And it was going to take him multiple lives to do it. But each time he learns just a little bit more, right? And so this guy has to try and stop him. And it created this real interesting paradox is that when you meet the 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 bad guy you can't just kill him because if you kill him he's just going to come back and know know, that much more know that you killed him so (laughs) right so you can't it's not that you can't just kill him it's that you can't kill him and let him know that you killed him exactly and and the reverse was true too he gets captured by the bad guy and the bad guy can't kill henry he basically keeps him a prisoner for his lifetime and uh, has to do all he can to prevent Henry from killing himself so he doesn't go back. And Anyway, it was a real interesting, uh, definitely a neat tr- trip on the sort of time loop concept of uh, time travel where you had to die each time. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like a weird take on the whole Quantum Leap thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved Quantum Leap when I was, well, when it was new. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it d- doesn't always hold up quite so well nowadays, but I guess that's true with most television of the era, right? Yeah, quite possibly. And so in Quantum Leap, uh, there was an experiment that happened, and w- the guy gets keeps jumping into people who are having... Need to have something done, right? right. <laughs> and you don't know what it is, and it's perfectly, perfectly cool right up until you find out that there is sort of a mover behind the whole thing. And you go, well, you just changed the whole nature of the entire series on me. Thank you very much. Um, and that's a, that's a real interesting point, you know, because I, I, I knew of Quantum Leap and I watched a few episodes, but I never watched the whole series. So so if it's just this random side effect of the experiment, that's one thing. But if it's uh, the machinations of a group or an intelligent being or something, you're right. It changes the whole theme of it. It becomes sort of almost sadistic, especially considering how the series ended. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it, but it was interesting. It went through a couple of changes. It's like he could only be, be thrown back into people who were within his life and only people. And then at one point it wasn't just a people. And then at another point it wasn't just within his life because they kept changing the way it worked. Um, and I think a little bit of consistency is neat, or at least you have to have a reason when you're not in, when you're not consistent. A reason beyond, well, the writers didn't think about that the series would go this long. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Um, Which we've kind of skirted around it, but one of the classic tropes of of time travel is uh, the time loop, where you are stuck in a loop reliving the same thing over and over again. Of course, Groundhog Day is the all-time classic of it, and Mm. and done well, I might add. (laughs) Yes. Actually, let's talk about a little bit what makes Groundhog Day done so well. Hmm. Well, okay, so it is a continued loop 
time loop movie where something happens and you see his first day and it feels like you go through the whole day until something triggers the, the next day, right? Mm-hmm. Each loop gets shorter and shorter. So you feel like you're building up pace. And I think that's pretty important is as a viewer, I don't need to see all the stuff that is the same, but I do need to see it through kind of at least once. So I understand what the context is. Yeah. And you have to have enough pace so you can see his, his romance kind of blossoming as well. And it's not abrupt. Right. And, and also it is, he, he goes through all the stages of, you know, sloth of super greed of, yeah. of angry of I'm a jerk, basically going through growing up. Right. I think really it's a, Hey, he's just not emotionally mature at the beginning of the movie. And he goes through all the stages that a lot of people tend to go through from, Hey, I'm a whiny, needy infant to uh, look, I'm a fully realized, mature individual. Self-actualized. Yeah. And the other thing, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say the other things I think that are done really well is at no point do they explain what actually happens to him. All right. It just happened. The why is irrelevant. So we're not burdened with a why that's ultimately unsatisfactory. Well, and yeah, there's a lot of movies that could get get away with that or should have gotten away with that. Should have. Don't, yes. don't ask questions that nobody, you know, that nobody wants the answer to. Exactly. Don't answer them. Nobody yeah. asked. I think, though, that because it was a comedy, you don't have to. If it was a real science fiction you sort of have to have the cause of the time loop. You can't just True. N- ignore that. And so the genre in which you are playing out your time matters. Yeah. And then the other thing is that the the how long he was in this loop was never explicitly stated, although you know it was quite a while. I, I had read that, uh, um, I want to call him Russell Ziski because that's his character in Stripes, but it's, um, uh, who is the director? Uh, Harold Ramis. Yes. Uh, he had said he was in this loop for like thousands of years or hundreds of years at least. Well, I mean, I, I would certainly see it would being, you know, a decade based on his piano playing alone. That was the big time thing for me as well. He's <laughs> like, that shows how much time he had experienced. <laughs> and it sort of felt like, you know, the whole thing could have been, you could say, well, this was purgatory, right? If I mean, if you mm-hmm. wanted to go religious, like this was his purgatory. Something happened. He died. He has to go through until he works his way through his sentence. It could be that it was, hey, um, you know, some some deity played a trick on him, like a trickster god, Loki or someone. It's like, oh, we're going to do all of these things. And now it's gotten boring because he's figured the whole thing out. You know, once again, questions nobody asked that are better left unanswered. (laughs) Indeed. You know, there was a Star Trek Next Generation episode that had a time loop as well. (laughs) Only one? (laughs) Well, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it is a, a, a frequent trope. And it can be done well and it can be done poorly. Um, you know, going through, I think the big crux is the realization that you're in a loop. Oh, I guess there's the, the death day, happy death day to me. There's a movie that this girl was in a time loop, kept getting killed. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I they, remember that. And then there, there was also one about a guy who was going to get married. Um, and then Netflix has a series coming out now, like Nesting Doll or something like that, which, yeah. which has one of the girls from uh, Orange is the New Black is the, is the Russian uh, person, I believe, who's going through. And it looks like it's going to be just darkly humorous. Uh, yeah. Not at all 
Groundhog Day, which was humorous, but also a little bit dark in parts. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that's the time loop. It's, it's a, it can be done well, it can be done incredibly poorly, but when it's done well, I find it really satisfying. <laughs> yes. Um, so let's, let's talk about changing the future. Mm. Um, so you got Terminator as the classic example there. Oh, the future's crappy, but we have time travel, so we'll go back in time to prevent the crappy future. Uh, and in doing so, pr- potentially cause issues going forward, right? Yeah. Well, and there's a TV show that uh, I watched on Netflix called The Travelers, which recently came out with a new series. And they, uh, their, their gimmick is really cool. It's like they pick someone who is about to die and they project their consciousness back into them. So historically, this person died, right? And mm-hmm. they're like, oh... He got hit by a bus, so we're going to send you back in there and not get hit by a bus or or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so they send back a team, and then they are working on behalf of, I forget what the agency is called, uh, the, uh, the manager or whoever it is, um, to try and fix the future, which is all messed up. And between seasons, it seems like they have changed the future. But it didn't get for the better, you know. Or, yeah. Or it's like the See, stakes have changed. Like, oh, wait, now we have people actively working against us where we didn't before, but we did change the future. So, hmm. You know, I just watched, uh, Amy and I watched a show on Hulu called Future Man. Ooh, I've heard about that. I have not seen it. Tell our listeners about it. it. Okay, so it's, uh, it. at the time, there was just one season. They just announced that there's a new season coming in. But you have... Um, the Josh Hutchinson, I think he was the broken, most broken person on Hunger Games. You know, the PETA, I think his name was. Oh, yo, anyway, yeah. yeah. So he's a janitor at this research facility and he finishes this video game. And uh, as soon as he finishes this video game, the two characters from the video game suddenly appear in his room saying, oh, the video game was sent from the future. It was to find someone who can save us. You have... You're the first person to complete the game. You are our savior. We need to go back in time and prevent the, this evil happening from going on. And the crux of this is that, you know, he's this loser, lives with his parents. He's a janitor, you know, and so he's not some sort of super savior like they were expecting. And, and one of the things that I do appreciate about the movie is, or the show is that they make all kinds of references. Like his first thing is like, you mean like the last Starfighter? <laughs> And so, uh, but what's interesting about this, so they, they have a time travel machine, so they keep trying to go back in time to prevent this guy from creating these genetically perfect, but hunting down all the rest of the humans creatures. Um, and he does it inadvertently, right? He's trying to find a cure for a disease and ultimately creates these things. And so they keep trying different methods to make that not happen. And they keep failing. And what's really intriguing about the show is that every time they fail, you know, the, essentially they've changed the future in some manner. It never goes back and fixes any of that. And a lot of this is, is kind of mildly traumatic. Um, hmm. But, you know, so they accidentally kill somebody in the 60s and his he was a cop and his partner is basically doggedly chasing after them all through the time. And he doesn't realize they're time travelers, but he's never letting this case go. Right. Right. And, 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 and it happens constantly. So in the end, you know, they, they meet their goal and whether or not their goal succeeds in the utopian future they're hoping for is, is never discussed, but he's the main character is now stuck in modern time with a wildly different life than he had 
before all of this happened. Right. Oh, and yeah, I was, that's, that's one of the interesting things when you're dealing with, hey, people from our future come back, is as they try and cope with whatever weirdness that we have come to accept as normal, and then they show you, you know, this is really absurd. I can't believe that, you know, we'll pick one that this I... This is still a thing? That you guys are still eating animals, you know. Right. <laughs> or what have you. It's like, this is... This is pretty appalling, all the smog you all have put up into the air. We're still dealing with that in the future. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, there's an awful lot of uh, ecological lessons and stuff. There was another show uh, called Continuum, which had a group of folks sent you know, back in time. Oh, I forgot to mention, in The Travelers, I think, uh, uh, from Will and Grace, Will was the main lead. Oh, if you okay. ever watched that show, I think that was the actor. But anyway, in Continuum, had a group of people sent back, but they get to bring technology and stuff with them. So she's got her super suit that sort of allows her to be, you know, a little more than than normally apt at stuff. Uh, and yeah, so this this is just all over the place. Is we want to show off advanced stuff, we want cool advanced technology, but we don't have the budget to put a whole show in the future. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so we bring them back in time. Well, one of the things that was kind of funny about Future Man was they go back to the 60s and the main character accidentally leaves his Apple iPhone there. Mm. And they come back to modern day and he pulls out his iPhone, which he has, except it's not an, uh, they went to an African-American fraternity. And so he pulls it out and it's not Apple anymore. It's Blapple. (laughs) And it's like one of the fraternity guys uh, had found it and basically became Steve Jobs, essentially. But, you know, it was different. And that was just a mild running joke through the whole show, but never the implications of that were never discussed or discovered. And, and I thought that was, and I think a lot of times saying less is more uh, really ends up paying off. Oh, yeah. If you just drop the hints that for the people who are paying attention uh, will get, that's kind of cool. Or, you know, with a few big ones, because people are going to know the difference between Apple and not Apple. Right, right. Um, so, so one other th- aspect I wanted to talk about, and then we can jump into whatever you want to jump in. But is the the time slip, the accidental movement in time, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes it could be going backwards, like Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, or it could be going forwards, like in the scariest movie I've ever seen, Idiocracy. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I don't think I've seen it. Uh, oh, okay. So the for the concept here is an average guy uh it takes place takes part in a science experiment that's like cryogenics but something accidentally happens and he gets frozen and he's woken up i don't remember 50 or 100 years in the future and so they thaw him out accidentally and he comes to and people have dumbed down so much that he is he is considered a genius amongst this group of people mm-hmm. and society has collapsed a whole lot and it you, you Unfortunately, well, the reason it's so scary is you look at society now, you look at society in the movie, they're not that far apart. <laughs> so would you consider Futurama time travel? Because even though it was on a second-per-second second basis, he was frozen for a huge chunk of time and came out in the far, far future? I would, yeah, because it's the same concept. Uh, displaced in time, as it were. Different conveyance. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And so, yeah, and so you have that sort of concept of using uh, Buck Rogers, another perfect example, the whole premise of the TV show in the seventies, or at least originally was, you know, he's using 20th century thinking in 25th century problems that they hadn't ever considered doing in the past because they'd moved forward so much. And because of that, he's able to solve problems that they couldn't. 
Um, and so you get that either going backwards with your knowledge of the future or going forwards because your your thinking is so out of step with everybody else's. So let's 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 break that down a little bit as far as the themes of time travel. Is that do you think sort of the uh, I guess not the Beverly Hillbillies sort of way, but that we shouldn't discard our past because you know they, we might still be able to you know pull a little bit of you know, decision making or information out of it. Or is it the you've got to be you know, really careful that we just don't dumb down the future? Where is this this kind of drive for that type of story coming from? Well, I think a lot of it deals with you are the sum of your experiences. Mm-hmm. And if your experiences are substantially different than someone else's, then you are going to be, you're going to think differently. True. And I mean, we can kind of experience, you know, you take someone who grew up in China and put them in America or vice versa. There's going to be some, you know, different culture issues and thoughts and ways that they approach problems. So I don't know that it's one is smarter than the other, right? Uh, of course, in these stories, the person from our current time is always or almost always going to be more correct than the people in the past or the future. I was going right? to say, don't forget Philip J. Fry, because he is not more <laughs> correct than anyone ever. But he's our viewpoint. He's our lens for seeing what the future is like. So we have to at least be able to relate to him. That's true. And so so a lot of times, and there were times, not a lot, but there were times when his goofiness was what got them, you know, got them through the situation they were in. Or he was less stupid than the others because of something. Okay. Yes, but he almost always ended up being less stupid because he was more stupid. Fair enough. It's never because I mean, he, is, he came up he with... He is an, the walking punchline, right? Yeah, he, he never had a legit, a legit good thought except for, hey, this person's nice, I like her. You know, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, yeah, okay, I got you. We shouldn't we shouldn't rag on Fry anymore. He is a great character. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, he's selfish, but his selfishness ends up working out in the end. Of course, that's probably more Pender than than Fry. But mm, yes, but but yeah. So 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 you know, certainly modern society says we can't judge cultures. Well, we can judge some cultures, you know, Nazism, wrong. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but, you know, as in general, the, it's just different, right. right? Just because someone is different doesn't mean they are wrong, but someone can or still dumb. be yeah. different and wrong. Right. <laughs> and I think that, yes. <laughs> and I think that gets back to what you're talking about in your 1632 series is, you know, they the people that they are interacting with aren't dumb. They are just ignorant, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you need to make allowances for that, like pretending, you know, we do not want radio technology to fall into the hands of, you know, Richelieu. Napoleon. Yeah. Richelieu. Yeah, exactly. Because the repercussions of that could be, could be detrimental. <laughs> That's right. Um, interesting. Well, let's look at our list here real quick. Um, time cops is, is an area we haven't really touched on. Okay. Yeah, time cops. Well, uh, and, and that certainly falls. Doctor Who is a self-appointed time cop. Absolutely. Where what the goal is to go around and prevent people from doing infractions, whether they be time infractions or just infractions that will affect a lot of time. <laughs> you know, doing doing arbitrarily bad things or identified bad things. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. Not a huge thing. Now, I did like that sort of, we go back to Star Trek for a bit, 
that in Deep Space Nine, you learn about the organization who is has to deal with all the time infractions. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, Kirk, that guy, what a pill. Of course he was involved in this. Uh, we had to deal with him more than once. We got a whole semester of classes on him. No kidding. Because, you know, oh. he loved his infractions. Indeed. Well, gosh, Star Trek Four. you got the whole, he sells these broken glasses that were a gift to him in, in 1984. Mm-hmm. He sells them in 1984, but he's, he gets them unbroken as a gift in 2000 and, you know, whatever. And uh, they do the transparent aluminum thing where... Yeah. Oh, you, my brain wraps around. How did the glasses get fixed? Did they last? Are they antique? Did they last that no, long? No, that's the new one. That's that's the pre-broken pair. Uh, and they go back in time to... Yeah, so... <laughs> you can see why Time Cops is is, <laughs> is a frustrating job, right? Though I do have to say some of... You know, my one of my favorite time travel scenarios in all of Trek is the second version of Trouble with Troubles. Yes, where, and how they tie that back in together. Where they Forrest Gump in all of the Deep Space Nine crew into the Trouble with Troubles episode. Um, and they're like, wait a minute, those don't look like you, Worf, those Klingons. He's like, yeah, we don't talk right. about it. <laughs> oh, it is so much fun when you get to do those kinds of episodes or, or something where you know the source material and now you get to see it from a different perspective. Yeah. And, and that's neat is to see sort of that big twist on, hey, here's, here's time travel where we didn't expect it. Yes. Um, and really the last thing that I wanted to talk about time travel wise, you'd mentioned gaming. Uh, and there I have been a handful of games. I know GURPS did a time Two or three travels. time travel books. I've got them. Yeah, yeah, which, as is usual for GURPS, they're really well done. Um, I don't know that I'd play a GURPS game with them, but the, but the material in them is great. And it talks a lot about these concepts, these paradoxes, you know, how are you going to establish how time travel works? And that's kind of interesting about it is they also throw in skills that relate to various things. So um, there's a book like How to, how to Invent Everything, A Guide to Time Travel or something like that. Uh, actually, let me look at our book. Oh, yeah, The Time Traveler's Guide to... Something. How to Invent Everything, A Survival Guide for the Stranded Time Traveler. Yeah, um, I've read that book. And, uh, well, okay, uh, tell us a bit about it, even though we're supposedly onto gaming. Well, it, the, the, the idea is it just kind of talks about, oh, here's how blacksmithing works, and here's how this, it's sort of all these skills that we know exist but haven't had to practice in forever, it kind of talks about how you could make that happen. Yeah, it could also have been called How to Invent Everything, A Survivor's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Right. Which it reminds me slightly of this guy who decided he wanted to build a clock radio, but he wanted to build it from scratch, from literal scratch. So if it, for in order to have a plastic case, he needed to mine some oil, you know, get some oil and then turn the oil into plastic and then, mm-hmm. you know, do this. And so he goes through all of these situations and ultimately creates the clock. It's the hideous thing to look at and barely works. Um, but he, he's really talking about the idea of trying to build all this stuff from scratch is nigh impossible. There's a similar concept of no one knows how to make a pencil anymore. Mm. Like, if you want to make a regular, you know, graphite pencil, the skills required to do everything to make that happen are 
impossible for one person to do. You know, mine the graphite, turn it into graphite, you know, fell the tree, make the tree, get the rubber, you know, metal, or, you know, mine the ore, melt it, smelt it. One person cannot make a pencil. It's essentially impossible. I, I thought about this yesterday as I was eating my lunch. I had leftover <laughs> fried chicken that I brought to work wrapped in aluminum foil. And I was like, no one person could have done all of this. Yes, exactly. I defy you to have one person create the aluminum foil. Just that alone boggles the mind. Yes. To me, it boggles the mind that someone thought if we just smash aluminum really thin, it becomes this foil that has all of these uses. And add to the fact that it is so uh, common or, or it has been produced in such a mass quantity that we can just buy it, wrap stuff up, and throw it away. It's not a super valuable resource. Right, it's <laughs> omnipresent. And we have more of it on our store shelves than, it's like this surplus that we have, at least at the stores here locally, of, look at all this aluminum foil. I, could, right. I couldn't use all of that in a lifetime. <laughs> and this is the same aluminum that's the skin of airplanes, right? I mean, it's oh, yes. amazing stuff. Mm. Um, so I, anyway, I, back, I, back to gaming. I think there's, um, yeah, and, and there have been some games, some tabletop board games, card games that try and deal with time traveler uh, as a particular particular topic. None of which yeah. I thought did it terribly successfully. Yeah, uh, Chrononauts was an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. It kind of worked, kind of with linchpins um, in time. Where yeah, you're flipping them back and forth. So there is one game that I haven't played that I'm really interested in trying sometime. I just haven't had the opportunity to do it. And that is, there is a Fiasco time, uh, Fiasco playset where everybody plays the same character just in different points in time. Clockknockers or one of the other ones? It's not Clockknockers. I don't remember what it's called hmm. though. But the idea is that you're all the same character. It's just, you know, I'm the character 20 years in the future and you're the character 10 years in the past and whatnot. Right. And I thought it would be such an amazing experience. I don't know that it would be a great fiasco experience, although it certainly could be. I re- but it would I, be an interesting one. I, I facilitated a fiasco game where uh, we were playing cats and two of the players <laughs> were different lives of that same cat. Oh, that's fun. That was that was hilarious. Oh, you know, we talked time travel and all this stuff. We completely forgot one of our favorite topics of all time. Oh, yeah? Discworld. Oh, yes, with L space and the potential time traveling there. And the, his- the monks of history who have had to stitch history oh. back together. And so all of history doesn't necessarily match up, but, you know, it all kind of works out. Uh, and that the, the idea is that history is fairly robust. You just have to get the big events to happen sort of on a schedule. And, and then it's done. And they also have procrastinators, which are these cool little, it's like the giant prayer columns that they spin right. at, at temples of, uh, of denominations with which I, you know, have never been. But that, that you spin these things and, and for them, you're filling them up with time that you can use later. And so you have your own personal ability to act when time is not a thing. And, and the, the, one of the main stories of one of the books, The Thief of Time, is that Somebody makes a clock that accurately measures time, and it freezes everything up. Yep, and and they have to they have to stop it. And so think of it as uh, oxygen while you're scuba diving, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's almost exactly that. And then you have some characters who appear at different points in history, uh, like uh, Lucy, uh, who is back uh, in Small Gods, which is, mm-hmm. happens before the current timeline. And is also all over Ankh-Morpork, and 
Yeah, so I love the way that Pratchett plays with time travel. Yes, because he does it in a way that avoids a lot of these paradoxes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he sort of says, or, we've got people on that. Yeah, <laughs> someone else is taking care of it. That's another department. That's right. <laughs> and and it's like, oh, I don't have to worry about meeting myself because that's either not going to happen or it happens. And meh. I don't remember meeting myself, so therefore I will not meet myself. There you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's it. That's we spent almost an hour of real time, which we will never get back, um, <laughs> talking about you know moving around in time. Oh, the the little uh, very last thing that always never seems to be addressed to me is if I'm the I have the ability to travel through time, mm. I myself am going to continue to age. So when I come back to the time that I left, I will actually be older than I should be at that moment, right? So if I'm 30 and I go time travel and I spend a, a year doing something and I come back to where I was 30, mm-hmm. I'm still 30, but physically, physiologically, I'm 31, right? Probably. And, and so I'm thinking this is a, an interesting concept to deal with where you you look at it from not from the time traveler's perspective, but this person ages rapidly because they're always off doing other things in time and then coming back to the, to the, you know, normal time zone. Right. But once again, and if to, you've got advanced technology like a Star Trek or, or something, you can say, well, we're offsetting that with special care, or it could be one of those things that you get snapped back to your body right when you leave. And so sure your brain and you, you were technically somewhere else, but you were, you can hand wave that away. But I, I really don't think that's as much fun as the, why, you didn't have a beard 15 seconds ago. Why do you now <laughs> no have kidding. a three-foot beard? Is that a fake beard? <laughs> Let me pull on your beard. You know. Exactly. No, I was, it's magic. I was just Socrates for, for a decade. Don't worry about it. <laughs> cool. Well, Don, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me oh, about this. Absolutely. It's always, it's always great spending uh, time with you. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, listeners, tell us about the times travel stuff that we got wrong. Or the stuff that you really like. Um, yes. We don't mention it because we don't always check it. But you can actually respond to the episodes on the Inverse Genius page. Uh, so yes, you, there is. You can go there. Of course, in our Facebook group is another good place, the Inverse Genius Facebook group, to talk about the episode or, or on the page when we post that there. Because I think it automatically pop- populates to the page. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, so let us know what we missed, what you liked. I sent out a, a call on Twitter, right, saying, hey, what is your favorite time travel thing? Uh, Bob Wyman, or the Scoliologist, said, hey, he liked when Reed Richards and Dr. Doom had a battle in Doom Castle, uh, wherever Dr. Doom's homeland is, where mm-hmm. they each had individual time things to go within a certain period, but they had to stay in Doom's castle to fight it out as a duel to save uh, Reed Richards' friends and family. Uh-huh. You know that would be interesting. If you want a segment on other time travel stuff, go listen to Ken's Time Machine over mm-hmm. on Ken and Robin talk about stuff. But most of them I hadn't even heard of, right? Uh, and so, yeah, jump in on this conversation. Let us know first of all what your favorite implementation of time travel as a theme is, uh, or where you think we forgot some of the paradoxes or strangeness. Cool. Well, I'm Eric Dewey, and I'm Donald Dennis, and you've been listening to. Inverse Genius. Hooray! On time travel. (laughs) That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.